I'd heard about prostate cancer. Most men have. I even knew about the heightened risk for black men, which, when adjusted, means that it affects one in three of us. One in three. But this was only meant to happen to old men. Other men. <laughs> that wasn't until it happened to me. I couldn't make these stories up. These are the stories, the good, the bad and the unbelievable about my prostate cancer journey. So strap yourself in and let's go. Episode 19. The phone is ringing, but sorry mate, it's not Miss World. So... Straight after my narrowly missed first geriatric snog, I continued with the talking, unabated. The first talk afterwards was Craft Persons of London. They specialise in transforming urban spaces, running health and well-being programmes and providing enterprise opportunities for local residents. They wanted someone to come down and talk to a group of African and Caribbean men. I volunteered and was introduced via email to one of the leaders in the company, Michelle. Unlike other talks, she had a brief for me. They didn't want a PowerPoint presentation. They wanted something more interactive. And they also wanted the person to share a meal with the men before the talk. So as to create a more intimate and personal setting. I was all up for it. Not often the meals thrown in. I didn't need to be asked twice. So I was about 20 minutes early for the talk. And it was a small office in North London. And the seating had been arranged for about 12 guests. Only two people had arrived by the time I got there. And one by one, they began to trickle in. When there were about eight guys and one woman, one of the guys inquired where all the others were. And one said, I know where they are. And he went next door to the bookies and flushed them out. He disappeared and returned about five minutes later with four new bodies. At that point, the host introduced me and then disappeared to help with the food. I introduced myself and gave them a number of statistics. About two minutes into my talk, a mobile phone belonging to one of the guys at the back started ringing. I carried on talking, as you do. I'm now a seasoned professional. And then a few more guys joined in and I was getting into a rhythm and had quite a number of good questions along the way. Nothing taxing. What the symptoms? What's an MRI scan? When to get retested? Good questions. Michelle had suggested that we might do the talk in two parts because she wanted to have a break for food. Hey, it's all good. But she hadn't reappeared, so I just carried on. A few minutes into this part of my talk, and the same mobile phone went off again. I ignored it and carried on. And then About 10 minutes further down the line, when I got up to the point of my choice of treatment, the guy's phone went off again. This time I stopped talking. The guy next to him just grabbed his phone. And with a chorus of comments from the others, which I can't repeat, he furiously assaulted it with his fingers and handed it back to him with a look that wouldn't be on the first dates program. I have to say, I secretly loved it. I carried on again. And a few minutes later, a guy came in with his phone already to his ear, deep into a conversation. I thought out of mild courtesy, 
he would have completed the call before he sat down. He didn't. He was having none of it. This time, I stopped talking, while he continued whispering sweet nothings into his phone, and just looked at him smiling. The group looked amongst themselves, and then realised why I'd stopped talking. Now, there is something quite beautiful about peer justice, especially from those that had given up their time in the bookies and were in no mood for any kind of nonsense. The words he received were not many in nature, but they had a brutal effect. I can't repeat them on this podcast. But just imagine they were good enough for him to instantly terminate his call and never look at his phone again. I smiled and continued. It was a professional smile on the outside because I was a seasoned professional, but inside I was cackling like a hyena, slapping my fingers together thinking, ooh, someone got told me. Anyway, back to the talk. If there's a couple of things that very early on got me fired up was when someone started talking about herbal remedies for prostate cancer. But I had a first on this one where somebody mentioned slavery and I stopped him before he got any more silly words out. Someone else was on the establishment hiding it from us tip and another was, well, I don't believe you. So going back to herbal remedies... It was the most vocal guy at the bunch, and he was insistent that there were herbal remedies. I told him my story of my friend that died trying to follow a non-surgical solution to breast cancer. And by the time she had finally realised that all these different people were rinsing her of her money, she tried to go back to the NHS, but it was too late. She was stage four, and she didn't last nine months after that. I also told him about the guy that suggested six weeks before my operation that if I cut out red meat for the six weeks, he was absolutely convinced that my PSA would be sufficiently lowered. I didn't need an operation. Going back to this guy in the meeting, I asked him why, if that someone has found a cure for this dreadful disease, why is that person not rich? Or why haven't they donated this wonderful gift to humanity? He didn't answer. All I ever asked of someone suggesting a wonder cure is that they show me some clinical test data. Not the word of a wholesaler or somebody who just heard from somebody else or somebody that saw a YouTube video. It tends to kill the conversation quite quickly. I tried to tell the group that we're the most afflicted but the least engaged. I told him how there's so few black volunteers talking about prostate cancer. I told him how I've seen grown black men running scared of a prostate cancer table at the UK Black Business Show. I told him how the nurses at Guy's Hospital practically bang their heads on the walls trying to get black guys to engage. From making a decision about treatment promptly to participating in trial studies. that didn't seem to be getting anywhere with him. I said to him, but addressing the room at the same time, let me give you an example. You say the establishment has conspired to keep this information away from you. Well, here you are today and now you've been empowered with this information. You know the facts, you know the statistics, and we're going to give you some information to take away with you so you don't forget it. Can anyone here tell me that they can now go to their friends that know and trust them and not meet any resistance trying to give them this information? The room stayed silent. You could almost hear a tumbleweed in the background. 
I made my point, unfortunately. Then with perfect timing, Michelle came up with the food. A few minutes into the food, and the same guy was making a comment about Brussels sprouts. I was busy introducing myself to my fourth piece of chicken, and he was suggesting that Brussels sprouts was this wonder cure. And you know what? When I got home, I did actually look up Brussels sprouts, and it was suggested that they may have some cancer preventative property. However, what this guy failed to mention at the meeting was the sheer number of Brussels sprouts you would need to eat to gain any kind of benefit. Also, there is a particular gaseous side effect of Brussels sprout. So rest assured, if you don't gas yourself, you're not going to have any friends. And even then, you're not going to be able to maintain the number of sprouts you would need to eat. But hey, the management seemed to enjoy my talk and they said they were going to invite me back with a mixed crowd. And you know what? I'll be there. The next talk was a simple job. You go to a church, pick up a cheque, boom, you're done. Now, it was a church that had recently done some fundraising and they'd raised some funds for five different charities. All I needed to do, pick up the cheque, say a few words and it's a done deal. However, if you know me by now, anything easy and anything normal don't seem to quite go in the same sentence all the time. So I got there a little early, just before noon, all suited and booted, looking shiny and eager. Eventually, I was led to the front of the church and I sat down with the other volunteers to collect their checks. The church is a Pentecostal church and for those that don't know what a Pentecostal church is, think stiffness, solemn, preacher in robes and singing from an antiquated songbook. Now, if that's what you think it is, you got it all wrong. It's nothing like Think of gospel music, lots of energy, old boys and girls singing obliviously out of tune, clapping and singing, and you've got it summed up. Parishioners, they fall into a number of groups. You've got the very young, pensioners, families, young teens, and 30 plus. Now, there's a distinct lack of late teens to 30s, but that's pretty much how it is in any church. All of these groups want to be there, except they're very young and some of the young teens. The very young can be bribed and pacified with crayons or tablets or mobiles on silent while they're playing their favourite game. The young teens don't want to be there and they're easy to spot. They have this nonchalant, grief-stricken, despondent, lost look on their faces or, as an adult would say, slapped in the chops with a wet fish. They didn't want to be there, but they didn't have a choice. And nothing gets the attention of the young more than taking away their mobile phone. Now, after some singing and, oh, some fantastic gospel songs, Pastor Dennis took over and told the church that today's theme was handing over the checks to the various charities that they've raised money for. He then showed a couple of videos related to the charities and their work. We were all called up to the front, introduced personally and presented with our oversized checks. Each of us said something regarding our charity and what the money was going to do. Hi, my name is Peter Ellis and I'm here today representing Prostate Cancer UK. Prostate Cancer UK is the UK's biggest cancer charity. Unfortunately, one in eight men will develop prostate cancer at some stage in their life. However, this number jumps to one in four for black men. 
One of the reasons why prostate cancer is so prevalent is because men will not talk about it. My dad had prostate cancer and he didn't tell me about it. So I went on to develop prostate cancer this year. So I said to God, if he got me through this, I would be the biggest headache for prostate cancer because I will talk to everybody about it. It doesn't have to be a killer. You just have to go and get tested. So here I am just doing my little bit. This money will go to the wealth of literature that Prostate Cancer UK provides about prostate cancer. Funding research and organising volunteers like me to go and talk to individuals and groups such as yourselves. I will be here afterwards if anyone wants to talk. Let me just leave you with this final fact. By 2030, prostate cancer will be the most common cancer in the UK regardless of sex. That's bigger than the common ones you hear about like breast cancer and cervical cancer. I can tell you that this money is going to a great cause and together we can make a difference. So I picked up the cheque and I sat back down. Unfortunately, I happened to be positioned next to the charity world's equivalent of Miss World. She was a woman from one of the local hospitals. Young, blonde, long hair and very good looking. The type most women want to scratch their eyes at and most men will take a second look at. Worst of all, she's one of those that is always flipping smiling and flicking her hair. You know the type. They smile when they sleep. The bus just hit them. Oh, it's not the driver's fault. Smile, smile, smile. Now, my usual default facial expression is a blend between normal, deep in thought and engaged. Others that don't know me would probably sum it up as miserable git. And that's not how I feel. It just happens to be a default setting. It only took me a few seconds to realise I'm sitting next to gorgeous Miss World. And I couldn't have my default facial expression. I'm only going to be identified as, who is that miserable get next to that beautiful woman? Or who slapped him in the face with a sack of potatoes? So as she smiled, I had to smile as well. After about a minute, this was getting uncomfortable. As she continued to flick her hair and smile, I had to continue smiling as well. It was getting to be torture. The worst part is I had to keep this up for about five minutes before we were finally sent off back to our original seats. As visiting dignitaries, we were to be fed and watered downstairs. Result. I didn't say no, but I was meant to stop at my mother-in-law's and get food for the sprogs. Okay, I haven't forgotten them. If I left it too long, the girls would probably be at the stage of, oh, I'm getting weak with hunger. If Peppa Pig was on, that had the effect of disengaging Joel's stomach, so I had a bit more time before he started to have a whinge as well. So Miss <coughs> World and the others had scarpered with their checks. Even more for me. I ate like a king and I engaged with small talk with the locals. One guy had also had the operation and he was talking to me about his experience. That's when I got my first missed call from indoors. I was now about two hours later than I said I would be. I came back up with Pastor Dennis and we spoke some more. But more importantly, I sat down with Pastor Dennis's wife, Dee Dee. We just started to talk and to talk and to talk. She asked me how my day had been. And I told her I thoroughly enjoyed it. I told her more about my story and she was fascinated. This prompted her to open up about hers. 
Her father had been diagnosed with stage 4 prostate cancer. This means the cancer has metastasized. That is, it's spread from the prostate to other areas of the body. It's the final stage of prostate cancer. Typical of that generation, they keep the illness much to themselves. He won't allow Didi or her sisters to accompany him to any of his appointments. And he only tells her bits and pieces that the doctor has told him. He doesn't ask the doctor any questions. So it's detective work trying to piece it all together. They recently told him they were no longer planning to operate on him as they had previously told him. He proudly relayed this news to Didi, thinking it was a good sign, when in effect, it's the total opposite. I mentioned my blog and her eyes lit up. She is also a writer and I encouraged her, go for it. She had written about the dysfunction that her father had sown in the family and what effect it had on her. She had given it to him to read. And instead of feeling ashamed or reflecting on how his selfish behaviour had deeply affected his daughter, he completely turned it around and got the wrong idea. He hurriedly called her back, excitedly telling her it was a brilliant book and the bestseller. And when was she going to complete the book? It was a macabre badge of honour. She never would complete the book. And he completely missed the obvious clues and her daughter explaining her deep-seated pain. Didi's husband could never understand what she had been through. He had the model family when he was growing up. His mother and father were pastors of the same church before him. They had the model family that she never did. Each generation aims to reboot the failures of the past. We bonded over fatherly dysfunction, totally understanding each other like no other could. And you know what? Her dad and my dad are both called Richard. What are the odds, eh? I said to her she should write again. I told her to never give up on her dream. My phone buzzed furiously again in my pocket. I was now four hours later than I said I would be. The kids were probably on the floor, crawling around on their stomachs with hunger. Not. I knew I was in trouble. I looked at the phone, silently turned it off. But hey, what a great day.